From Washington, this is the Macrocast, a podcast brought to you by Penta and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. You're listening to the Macrocast. I'm Jonathan Graffio, a managing director at the Penta Group, joined as always by John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. Today's Macrocast is special. We're coming to you uh, on a Tuesday and looking ahead to Thanksgiving and Black Friday this week. So let's jump right in. We've seen some interesting retail data over the past couple of weeks. Uh, John and Brendan, what are you guys seeing that's caught your eye? Yeah, it's really been kind of a mixed bag. It's a uh... It's it's a sort of a baffling picture here. On the on the face of it, we got a, a retail sales uh, number for October that basically looked really strong. And uh, and it's not just the uh, you know high gasoline costs; those have come down a lot. And uh, it was you know one point three percent month over month in October is the strongest increase in eight month uh, eight months, and that's after a flat September. So you know there there was maybe a little bit of a post summer. Uh, post summer lull, and uh, and then the shoppers are right back at it. Uh, and uh, and even if you take out gasoline and autos, sales were up 0.9 percent month on month. And uh, and so the consumers are are you know definitely holding the line. Uh, you know some uh, some some uh, sturdy and hardy shoppers out there. But uh, when you when you lift up the hood and kind of dig deeper. There are some increasingly mixed messages behind it. And, uh, you know, that was brought into play when we heard all of the, you know, a lot of the big box retailers announced their earnings and uh, and truly a mixed bag. Walmart was sort of the star of the show, uh, came out with uh, some uh, with earnings that were really impressive for the quarter, but also some pretty positive guidance talking about the dynamics that have been helpful to them. Uh, you know, some of it is very Walmart centric, like they handled the uh, inventory uh, issues very deftly, and uh, and they uh, had some very positive things to say about getting through their inventories. They're also talking about, and this is going to be a theme that uh, that comes back when we talk about Black Friday and uh, and uh, and uh, holiday shopping, is that trading down. Uh, you know, wealthier shoppers coming into Walmart to buy, you know, items that are a little more, you know, a little more populist pricing, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and that sort of thing. So they keep up their the volume of purchases in the face of higher prices. Uh, so but when, when you say that Walmart definitely handled inventory issues, what what in particular are you talking about? What are you referencing there? It's it's really about, you know, with this massive all these supply chain entanglements and all the stuff and the lumpiness of consumer demand uh, in the stores and, and so forth. It was a really big challenge, and uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of even you know the their competitors, places like Target, and we you know Target had a very challenging quarter, and one of the reasons was they had a big backlog of inventories. Mm-hmm. Now, some of it's just the kind of the different nature of what they offer on their shelves, uh, but you know Walmart managed to uh, manage to you know right size their inventories. Uh, it seems in a uh, in a more uh, in a more uh, deft and uh, and profitable way than uh, than Target, which had to discount deeply and get rid of it. You hear stories now about a lot of uh, you know large retail operations kind of dumping unwanted inventory on some of the online uh, uh, outlets and platforms there, and uh, and you know ways to ways to get that off you know out of the warehouses and so forth. And uh, and exactly how they pulled it off, it's a it's it's a good question, and uh, you know especially with something as 
as big and complex as the as the Walmart. Yeah. A lot of it had to do the about six, eight months ago, they they saw that the consumer was changing their behavior where in in the pandemic, everyone bought goods. So you bought TVs, you bought computers, things like that. And those are the things that specifically had a lot of supply chain issues. So a lot of companies, um, retailers, you know, they, they bought everything they possibly could. And then the pandemic came to an end and everyone stopped buying all the stuff that they had just stocked up on. So Walmart, I think, was one of the first ones to see that change in consumer behavior and took their medicine right away. They just said, we got to get rid of this and, and start all over again, where others um, didn't like Target. Um, so they kind of cleared out all the, the excess goods uh, that they, they owned and, um, and then right-sized that, um, that inventory. Gotcha. And so we've seen some, we've seen uh, earnings figures from, from Target as well. Y'all both just referenced this, that kind of the other side of the coin there. Y'all want to talk a little bit about what you see popping out from their numbers? Yeah, Target not only flagged, you know, the challenges with the inventory and uh, and consumers, they, they had a darker view of consumers. And, you know, yeah. maybe they were a little bit of a higher price point than Walmart and uh, a different mix of goods uh, that's less advantageous uh, in the current environment. But, you know, they basically said that the shoppers were, were uh, you know, having some difficulties and uh, and they had a pretty downbeat outlook for holiday shopping. And that was echoed, you know, whether it's FedEx or Amazon, you know, they're the life, you know, they're their circulatory system of the uh, of the retail uh, of the retail body these days. And uh, and they also management of those two companies talked about a, uh, you know, a more muted uh, holiday season. Some of the data that we've seen is that the expectation is that uh, holiday shopping, which was you know, sort of the November, December timeframe last year, it was a growth rate of 13.5%. People still had really, you know, healthy cash levels, big, you know, very healthy balance sheets um, at the household from the, you know, all the savings that they did and the, the, you know, the cash outlays from the government during COVID and so forth. Expectations this year are more muted for six to 8% growth uh, in spending over the November, December period. And that is obviously, you know, if you were to ask people on the street, they'd probably say that the downside uh, is where the risks lie on those numbers. You know, all the stuff that Amazon ships, it's the box company, uh, right. cardboard boxes, and their demand is down over 50% from um, the previous couple of years. Yeah. That's and an, another survey showed 72% of consumers looking to trade down, looking to basically yeah. like, you know, where they might have gotten a Lululemon, you know, item they're trading. Yeah. Out to now you're going to get the the Costco brand or whatever. It is. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm like the world's worst consumer. I can't even pronounce any of the brands. <laughs> yeah. The best the best consumer story for John is he was, uh, we were sitting next to each other and he's reading an article talking about this brand is for loser dads. And he looked down and he was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was about Skechers. It said Skechers is is uh, benefiting from the lame dads market <laughs> demographic. And I was like, huh, I wonder what these, <laughs> what these speakers are. What do you know? It was uh, this this lame dad was definitely part of that part of that uh <laughs> target target demographic yeah well I'm, I'm right there with you in the lame dad categories <laughs> you know one one thing that caught my eye in the in the target numbers that just seemed crazy to me was a 50 percent jump in shoplifting that they've reported and i, I kind of wondered you know we'd seen 
anecdotally stories, you know, since the pandemic and and on on since then about an increase in, in crime across the country. I was curious as to how big of a problem that was with other retailers and saw where one of the, the retail associations just put out something a couple of days ago that said this is up to a hundred billion dollar problem for for retailers now. To, how, how does that kind of factor in? Do, do, are you guys seeing that with with other retailers reporting numbers that like big jumps like that? How does that factor in? That just it it hasn't usually been part like a significant part of the you know, of the, of the earnings, but something like that obviously catches your eye. Uh, and you know, the, the kind of loss provisioning is you usually talk about that at banks <laughs> and with, uh, yeah, exactly. and with, uh, with bad debts and so forth, but it is, you know, it's, it's a sign of the times and people are trying to, uh, you know, take measures, uh, that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise take to, to, uh, procure the goods that they want. And, uh, you know, on the, the shoplifting may be, uh, you know, a particularly big problem for certain for certain stores. Um, but, uh, you know, the other, you know, basically go- going back to what I said about the uh, about the the credit and and that sort of thing. You, you also have uh, increasing, you know, levels of credit card debt. Yeah. Uh, you know, the October data from the, the Fed showed a, a very large increase in in revolving credit card balances. So basically, for the most part, everyone's kind of worked through their their stimulus check savings, uh, and now um, a lot of this consumption is is being done on um, on credit. Yeah, just looking at the fa- the the stats here really quickly, uh, we read a report that household debt has jumped the fastest since 2008. Whenever you say since 2008, that's a bad yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> that's a bad <laughs> thing, right? It's usually. That's a that's kind of a comparison you want to avoid, but uh, in this case, that's that's what we've got. And credit card debt up fifteen percent year on year, supposed to be the fastest in twenty years. They say so. You know the the you know fortunately most people aren't aren't opting for the five finger discount, uh, but you know they're reaching <laughs> into their wallet for the uh, for the credit card. And uh, delinquency rates are still really low, really low. Uh, but they're obviously hooking upward here. That's not surprising, and uh, and the trend is unlikely to be our friend here uh, as the economy is forecast to slow and put, uh, and perhaps tip into a recession next year. So those, uh, you know, with with uh, household savings are now uh, the lowest, uh, well, 3.3% is, is close to the low since the 1940s. So it looks like, you know, the healthy balance sheets and the things that kept, uh, that kept household spending, some of those are beginning to erode some signs of, you know, some fraying, obviously, like certainly in, in some of the, the demographics, lower income. But, you know, they they keep going back. Economists keep on going back and saying, well, the, the job market is still strong. Exactly. And so that is yeah. that is a bulwark. Uh, but everybody knows the job market is kind of the last thing to crack uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to a slowing economy. So, you know, watch this space. Yeah, another thing that I wonder how it factors in here was, of course, we had the news a couple months ago where President Biden had announced forgiveness of uh, a lot of student loan debt up to about four hundred billion or more, and then we've seen lately a lower court ruling pausing that. And I, I wonder that payments were are supposed to start again in in January, and I think a lot of people probably were counting on that extra income, especially this time of year. And I wonder how that 
factors in because consumers, a lot of consumers being held kind of in limbo right now that Biden has asked the Supreme Court to intervene and and decide on this one. But that that seems to be an area where there's a lot of uh, money tied up. Yeah, that was, it's it can't help. Right. That um, that there was a sense that the you know, the student debt forgiveness might be inflationary. Um, and so forth. The the peak inflation fears have come off a little bit. You don't see that story quite as much, yeah. um, you know, in some key, uh, you know, some key area pain points like gasoline prices and so forth are down a little bit. Uh, so that's not as big a story. But, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, when you talk about the the consumer wherewithal, yeah, it's 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 meaningful. And there's a larger point in there, which is, you know, the U.S., uh, U.S. recovery, you know, when the U.S. economy goes into a slowdown, like we're expecting to be uh, entering into next year, there are lots of policy, uh, you know, cushions that Uh you get. You get a lot of countermeasures from the Fed. You get Fed easing. You get uh, fiscal expenditures. uh, And this is, you know, in in this case, it it looks increasingly like the cavalry ain't coming, right? Um, The uh, the Fed is going to be and they're telling us they're going to be sitting on their hands at persistently high rates. The market doesn't believe them, but you know that's what the Fed is saying. They're going to uh, they're going to hold it um, at the at peak rates uh, here, you know, close to five percent for an extended period of time to crush inflation. And you know, when it the the Republicans taking the House, everybody knows that you know fiscal expenditures are going to be are going to be a uh, a likelihood here for the uh, for the Biden administration and uh, the uh, the Republican caucus in the House is trying to push the other way, uh, you know, using the debt ceiling as leverage potentially to try to cut some of the uh, entitlement spending and so forth. We don't think that the Biden administration is necessarily going to go for that. Uh, it's going to be a real street fight, though, and uh, and that's the kind of thing that you know is uh, is going to be, you know, the the fiscal. Fiscal supports, you're not going to get the monetary support. So you've got to have some sort of organic, um, you know, organic uplift. And and where is that going to come from? And that's that's a, a big question for next year. All right, cool. Well, that's a great place for us to take a break. I want to, on the flip side, I want to come back and dig into more about the signals that we're seeing out of the, out of the Fed and the dynamics in Congress. Um, so we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll we'll pick up the conversation there. Every two weeks, Penta measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations toward the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by Penta, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us at pentagroup.co. And we're back with the macro cast. Let's get into uh, the what we're hearing out of the Federal Reserve, uh, possibly a downshift coming our way, uh, but some different uh, different comments coming out from various uh, regional Fed presidents. Curious as to how you guys read those comments and what the outlook is going forward. Well, just uh, to to get our bias on the table <laughs> right at the outset, we've been yeah. looking. Brent and I have been looking for a uh, downshift in the second half of this year. We were we were expecting it to come in September. It didn't, uh, you know, and the the hawkish uh, the hawkish uh, uh, squawks from Jackson Hole really uh, put paid to that. But we knew it was going to be coming at some point in the uh, in the not too distant future. It got pushed a little bit further. 
And, uh, and it appears that we are, in fact, headed toward a downshift. Uh, the last 75 basis points uh, that we got in the, um, you know, at the, at the last meeting, we think is the last jumbo 75 basis points hike. We think the next step is 50 basis points and then to 25, uh, maybe another 25 from there. But we, we're in the camp of uh, Atlanta Fed President Bostic, who said that another 75 basis yeah. points to 100 basis points is pretty much all it's going to take. Um, and, uh, you know, to put to put rates where they need to be uh, and, uh, you know, in kind of a set it and forget it mode and let the the high rates and real, you know, high real interest rates uh, in, in certain cases do their work uh, and drag down inflation over the uh, over the period of time. Everybody knows that monetary policy works with a lag. Uh, we got that uh, emphasized by San Francisco Fed President Daly uh, last week. And, uh, and, and, even- and amazingly, uh, Larry Summers. Yeah, even like uh, someone, Larry Summers has been bashing the Fed for uh, for not hiking rates fast enough and for ignoring inflation. And uh, even Larry uh, at this point is talking about two sided risks. Uh, Hawks like Cleveland Fed Fed President uh, Mester also talking about you know how she's on board for a downshift to fifty. Bullard is sort of the gadfly, right? He likes to get his name in the papers, and uh, so he's out there saying yelling about seven percent, go about as high as seven percent. Why not nine percent, Jim? <laughs> How about 12%, Jim? You know, just keep upping the ante. <laughs> All right. So whatever. He's gonna he's gonna say uh what he what he says, but uh I think the center of the committee is going to a more balanced yeah. and cautious. I think their two months ago their concern was that they had lost control of inflation. I think now their concern is that they've actually already over tightened and they and they can't do a huge pivot because they'll lose credibility. Uh, but I think um what they would really like to do is actually stop raising right now and then just to be able to hold it. The the risk is if they keep hiking another 100 basis points, you're going to send us into a deeper recession. Then they actually will have to uh, start cutting like the market is pricing in in the middle of 2023, uh, which would uh, make their their ability to create monetary policy. Uh, uh, it, it would make them look pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, but the the inflation and the inflation outlook is really is really tough. There are a bunch of different factors here that aren't particularly uh, you know uh, working in the Fed's favor. And uh, whether it's a you know the the news this week has been about a resurgence of COVID cases in China, right? Yeah. You know, the, there's nothing that high interest rates can do about that. But that is going to and by be- resurgence we mean like five and ten, not like four million. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a it's a major uh, for China uh, in the COVID zero world, a major outbreak and uh, increasing numbers of lockdowns. And so there's a lot of trepidation about what that's going to do to supply chains. And we've gotten the news about uh, the railway workers. Uh, I guess the engineers voted uh, for their deal, but the uh, the conductors did not. And uh, and now it's a, a game of chicken here as uh, as the two sides are at the table. And, and you know, the White House has obviously uh, played a role in trying to set this deal up. And uh, and now, you know, both sides are, are are kind of wondering what the what the role, what further role the Biden administration can play. Can Congress play a role? Uh, you know, this is not coming Talk about a great time to be the head of the, the real workers union. You have like the perfect uh, storm on your side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you. This is this is this is when you this is when you put the pedal to the metal <laughs> Max negotiations, and that's obviously <laughs> what they're doing. I mean, the engineers got twenty four percent, you know, increase in pay and and uh, and so forth. I and mean, they've got 
They've got, uh, you know, some of the sticking points are things like paid sick days and, and, and that sort of stuff. So, you know, uh, it there maybe there's a maybe there's a way forward maybe the the Biden administration Biden's a union guy right I mean yeah. he has uh, it's it's uh, he's uniquely able one would think to to be able to bridge these gaps uh, but he's also a railway guy <laughs> here I love, I love him for it's like right it's, it's like Cliff Clavin on Jeopardy when it was like the mail and moms and it's like these are here. <laughs> really old reference for uh you know for Gen Xers and boomers but uh there were three people exactly, that like, uh, my kitchen. Yeah, it brings together a lot of things that uh that that he knows well. So, you know, it's 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 it is a it is a, these negotiations are a black box. It's hard to know how they're going to come out, but boy, it would be uh It'd be tough, uh, a tough time for for this to uh, to come to the fore. It's it's not. Uh, they say that it's too late to really impact the holiday shopping season. All that stuff is really lined up already, but it would be early next year. And then, of course, you know there are the diesel shortages and that sort of thing. The Fed's looking at these as you know, and they've treated supply shocks as just uh, just you know as as an inflationary dynamic sort of writ large and that, that, uh, you know, and the right prescription is rate hikes. Uh, but you know, if they've got their rate hikes already in, and these are kind of keeping inflation up instead of egging them on to hike more, it's probably going to, you know, on balance, keep them from cutting next year. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's a, you know, uh, obviously is something that the, the markets are expecting and could lead to a disappointment. One of the main things is, as we uh, are in the lame duck after the, the midterms now, what are the, the main policy policy issues before Congress that, that y'all are keeping an eye on? I, I know that the, the debt ceiling debt is, ceiling is, is first and foremost. That's a, a legit, very big concern. So it, it, it's not like we have yet, but of everything that's on the horizon, I mean, we're not going to pass any probably – Huge, significant legislation. I mean, I suppose maybe there's a chance that Manchin can get his, uh, you know, approval. Um, what is it? Uh, per- permitting for, uh, you know, energy projects. That could be a bipartisan bill. But everything else, I think we're just not going to really do all that much. Um, but there's a very, very, very good chance. Trying to to to, to rule the, trying to lead uh, Congress with a, you know, five-person majority I, I'd rather be in the minority. It's it's almost impossible. So I, my concern is very is that we actually do don't have the votes to uh, to to extend the debt ceiling. Yeah, you saw right after uh, uh, Merrick Garland announced the, the the special counsel for for the latest round. You saw how that filtered through immediately into like government funding fights, where Marjorie Taylor Greene and others on the right were saying. No funding for anything, no funding for this special prosecutor. You know, we're not going to even fund the government unless unless we get what we want here. And that's that's where that five seat, you know, cushion is is so hard to deal with. Yeah, just you, you, you give a huge amount of power to people on the extremes. And the debt ceiling is, you know, it's this is. Uh, and and obviously this is increases the leverage. It's this looking out at 2023. This is going to be a real bad time to have a debt ceiling fight. Um, you're going to have 
uh, high interest rates. You're going to have, you know, inflation is probably going to be coming off the boil, but still very elevated. You know, all signs are pointing to the economy continuing to slow down. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty out there, and uh, and the consumers are getting getting uh, burning through some of their, uh, as we talked about, burning through some of their their dry powder. Yeah, and, and, and we're already seeing stress in the in the treasury market. Um, you know, the, the higher rates is creating you know stress in in financial markets. It, it's not in uh, systemic yet, but if you throw on high rates. Um, and the the chance of default, you could have a, a very very bad scenario for uh, for our debt market. Yeah, and it's a moving target, right? Nobody knows exactly. You know, the idea is essentially the debt ceiling, the you know the hard the hard limit might be somewhere out in the fall. September October was kind of you know one finger in the wind, but some estimates are having it move significantly forward. Uh, you know, you're beginning to hear some talking about June. Uh, or even creeping into uh, into the springtime, that is a a worrisome development. And um, and you know it is that it, there's always a big question mark about it. And uh, and what where do you when does it really begin to become a binding constraint? What are the what are the factors? Because every time we come across the debt ceiling debate, it's always talk about there's always speculation about when we actually hit the 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 red line what are the factors that that kind of go into what are the extraordinary measures that treasury can take what are the the different factors as that that determine how long we actually have until yeah it's sort of like you know when when do you pay certain things and you can make some choices and extend you know push some things off and uh and there are some you know non-essential maybe expenditures and that's that's the kind of that's the kind of measure that you can do to elongate the timeline potentially, but, you know, essentially, but the treasury never really lets you know. And, and they, they always come out and say, you know, we're right up against it. You know, they're not going to give you a, they're not going to give you a, everything's fine until September, October. Yeah. They're going to try to make it sound urgent uh, because they just want it fixed. And, um, you know, one of the things that you see, uh, one of the dynamics that isn't particularly helpful is that Wall Street doesn't freak out about it, usually. You know, we've seen this movie before from the perspective of investors. They just roll their eyes. You know, another, uh, another you know, dust up on Capitol Hill. They always find some sort of 11th hour s- solution to it. If you're sitting in an investment meeting at a at a fund and you say we've got to cut down risk because of the debt ceiling most everyone will be like oh you know give me a break with that you know that they're gonna they're gonna come up with something and uh and so one of the things that i heard when i was the treasury from capitol hill was uh sort of soundings from the democrats uh saying you know why when the republicans were pushing one of these episodes you know why isn't it would be helpful if markets were a little more worried about yeah. this <laughs> and you know if if there was some like big leap of volatility in the treasury market to kind of show the republicans that this really will have big consequences if you push this because it's easy to say you know if the markets don't believe it's a real threat and don't price in that threat you know, it's easy to sit there on Capitol Hill and say, hey, look, you know, the markets don't care. That's not true. <laughs> the markets would care. They would they would definitely care if you they would definitely care. <laughs> they just don't think you're going to do it. Right. Right. Well, before we before we uh, end today, I want to take a, a look ahead at the next round of data that we've got coming out 
after Thanksgiving, I, I think we've got some more jobs numbers uh, coming out. What else are we we looking at? So uh, on Friday, we get the jobs data <clears throat> for um, November, uh, but we also, the day before, get the Fed's preferred uh, price inflation measurement, the PCE price index. Um, so th- those are two. I mean, the, the Fed has a dual mandate of inflation and uh, and employment. So on back-to-back days, we'll get the, the latest uh, data points on that. Uh, so that'll be a, a very important day next Friday. Yep, for sure. All right, guys. Well, I think we'll leave it there today. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Yes, and- enjoy yours as well. Eat too much turkey. That's a requirement. <laughs> and... <laughs> The, uh, and and uh, yeah, they'll, they'll you'll see the reports of just how just uh, the the Thanksgiving dinner inflation. Uh, it's double digits this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you can you can downshift. Prices are down, but turkey prices are up. Yeah, that's right. Downshift. You can trade down to drink drink cheaper beer <laughs> when you're watching football. Natty light. <laughs> I don't know if you no no. No, not, not, that that cheap. not that cheap. <laughs> we're out of grass. I'm from Alabama. That's, uh, that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Macrocast. I'm Jonathan Graffio with the Penta Group. Thanks to John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Market po- Markets Policy Partners for hosting with me. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll catch you on the other side. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 